Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Raptor Queens podcast, the first ever all-women podcast covering the Toronto Raptors. My name is Sarah Khalil. I'm here with my other queens of the North, Allison Hope and Essie Magic. Uh, unfortunately, Sonali Sharma is traveling today, so she's not with us today, but we'll be back next week. I'm going to, I guess, sort of a little bit welcome myself back. I was gone for the last couple of weeks traveling uh, to Mexico City. I am back and the world has changed. What is going on? Um, okay, so as everyone knows, about a year and a half ago, the Raptors played two games against the uh, Sacramento Kings and the Utah Jazz. And by year and a half, I mean five days ago. But it feels like it's been forever because since that time on Tuesday night, the NBA suspended the season, it looks like, for at least 30 days as a result of the coronavirus. Despite all of this, we do plan on continuing our recordings and talking basketball. So this is all very weird and surreal. And um, yeah, it really does feel like we've entered some kind of time warp. warp um, and the games that we played only five days ago really feel like a long time ago. Um, we are still going to cover those games and get into it. I'm sure people are actually really wanting to talk about basketball, hear about basketball, and not only ever hear about this virus going on. Um, of course, we will touch on that too, because there's a real impact, obviously, for the entire league and, of course, impact on the Raptors. Um, so, yeah, there, there's some stuff to talk about. Uh, we're going to start by talking about ball, basketball, yeah. So as I mentioned, the Raptors played two games this week. The first game play, play, they played on Sunday, they beat the Kings in a very, very close game, um, 118 to 113. And then on Monday, on a back-to-back, -back, they beat the Utah Jazz 101 to 92. Um, that ended a five-game road trip where the Raps went four and one. And um, yeah, let's let's talk about it. So, Allison, maybe we'll start with you. Um, what was your take on our Raptors games this week? So, I called the Sacramento game a loss. Just kind of, I had to go to a limb, and I thought based on how well Sacramento had been playing in the month of February, um, but it was a close game and we really won on the strength of our three ball. We shot 40% from three Sacramento shot 26% from three. And a couple of the things I noticed, um, Norm with five assists and, um, Pascal with five assists. So really some playmaking starting there. And that's a big change in Norm's game where he can recognize contests and make the pass out of them. The other thing, which was nice, was OG had a nice little mid-range jumper. So if he can develop that part of his game, um, I mean, this is going to be, you know, an exciting development. Um, Serge back with his sore knee, um, playing 36 minutes, double-double uh, though, and just another day at the office for Serge. It was a really good road win, and uh, we showed a lot of composure and resilience and just belief in the system. It was... Um, it was a good win. Uh, as far as the Utah uh, game, uh, 101-92, last game of a five-game uh, West Coast road swing, that was absolutely a character win. Everyone would have understood if the Raptors had lost that game. It would still have been a successful road trip. And this team just did not stop fighting, fighting through injury and uh, fighting against a very talented Utah team. They came in with a game plan. And it all went out the window with about 135 into the game when Norm went down. 
Um, the team regrouped. They did not lose their determination or their composure. Uh, Kaya with uh, playing 42 minutes. Pascal, uh, a double-double. Actually, nearly a triple-double, eight assists. So again, recognizing when to make the pass. And Serge, again, with a double-double. Um, and I guess we held Utah, I was reading somewhere, to their third lowest point total on the season. So, um, and I read an article in Bleacher Report this morning, and we are apparently top two in deflections and steals and top four in, re in recovered loose balls. So that really says a lot about our defense. So um, I was wrong. Great week, though. Awesome. Thanks for going into such detail. Um, Essie, what was your take on the last two games? Um, yeah, uh, adding to Allison saying she was wrong, it's a perfect opportunity for me to point out that I was right. It's <laughs> 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 so ironic and funny because the one week where I was the most optimistic one, because I'm never the most optimistic, I'm usually just kind of realistic, and the time that you guys were like off star Sonali was opposite. She was actually being realistic. That's the one time where I happened to like my optimism like one. So I just thought that was so ironic and funny because I was even worried about it. I was like, oh no. And then when Norm went down, I was like, oh man. And then, you know, they pulled it out. Definitely a character win, like Allison mentioned. Um, I'll touch a little bit about the Sacramento game. Definitely a good win considering that Sacramento um, has been on a, a, a momentum type of uh, uh, play, I guess you could say, uh, just because they're fighting for that eighth seed in the West and they've been playing well. Um, it was kind of a weird game just because we started out really good in the first quarter, high energy, lots of fast break points. Um, and then we proceeded to lose a 12 point lead. <laughs> and then it, the game swung in Sacramento's favor. And of course, you know, Kyle Lowry being as uh, great of a leader as he is, you know, put the team on his back, got the game close um, at the half. And then, you know, the game overall, it was a little bit closer than I would have preferred considering if you look at the hot start we got off to, but I'm happy they pulled out the win. There was a specific play around the five minute mark actually that, um, I believe Serge shot a three-pointer over Giles, and it just reminded me of, I believe it was in the Philly series, where Serge had this wicked three-pointer. I, I don't remember who was over. Was it Ben Simmons or something? Simmons. Yes, yes, it was. Step just, back, right in his eye. And it was such a feel-good moment when I saw that. I was just like, oh, Serge, you know, doing it again. So I, that was really, really good to see. Um, overall, though, happy they won. At the end of the day, it was a road trip a West Coast road trip, which are always very tiring. So I was happy that they pulled out the win. And then the Utah game, of course, I was having that feeling like, oh my gosh, tired of all these injuries. It's starting to get really frustrating now. And I even started questioning, like, this might sound so weird and stupid, but I was just like, are the players playing too hard? <laughs> it's, like, is that why they keep getting injured? Because it's just like, you know, and I know obviously we want them to play hard, but it's just, I just was at the end of my rope. Like, why do we keep getting so many injuries? Um, some other things is that Pascal, just a little thing about Pascal actually, is that I think he needs to work a little bit on not getting offensive fouls. I've been kind of like noticing it across several games where he tends to get a lot of offensive fouls, like not an excessive crazy amount, but enough consistently where it's like, I hope he works on that in the off season. Like, some of them are just his forearm push, but some of them are, like, 
on a fast break, he's coming like a train and somehow expects to not be called for an offensive foul. <laughs> so just something I made note of that I've been noticing over some time. Um, something funny that kind of happened was Matt Thomas, he had missed this uh, point blank layup at the, uh, around the time when he first came in, I think it was the second quarter. And it reminded me of the Golden State game because he had missed a point blank layup in that game. And so then I was kind of like, well, no wonder he only shoots threes. But then it later on in the game, he made, he was making some good layups. Like he had some cuts to the basket from Lowry. Um, yeah, he was playing in the paint a bit. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, obviously Serge did really well in this game against Gobert. I think Gobert only scored like six points. Um, so very proud of Serge in this game. And uh, what was interesting too, is that Serge was being the peacemaker and it just kind of shows his growth that we've seen from him because he used to be the one fighting all the time and he was the one who was pulling OG away. And there was even another moment where Kyle was getting frustrated and Serge was just like, you could just kind of see, he was like, it's okay. Like kind of like pulling him away type of thing. So that was really interesting to see. Um, Again, also with Serge Happy, he's been shooting threes. It really helps space out the floor, especially when Norm is not playing. So when Serge is making threes, I mean, I feel like that's when we're not, I don't want to say unbeatable, but that's when you know the Raptors are on point and it's going to be hard to, to beat them. If Serge is making threes, if Norm is making threes, like it's, it's tough to beat them. Um, other than that, there was one uh, other point that I thought Jack Armstrong made about McCaw late in the game and something we need to keep in mind in the playoffs whenever they happen <laughs> or if they happen um, is that he had, uh, Nick Nurse had uh, Pat McCaw in, I don't know if it was around, he brought him around the two minute mark, but it was towards the end of the game. And the moment that Pat McCaw came in, the player that was guarding him then would double um, Pascal. So it's something that we have to keep in mind for the playoffs. And I know that Nick Nurse obviously likes to play McCaw, but in a playoff series, teams are going to obviously scout our players, pay attention to them, and they're going to know in advance, oh, this guy doesn't really shoot, doesn't like to shoot. So we can just, you know, kind of sag off him a little bit, you know? So just something to think about. I thought it was a good point um, that Jack Armstrong made. And then, of course, uh, Matt Devlin's, uh, his name is Kyle Lowry. Um, moment at the end. Again, Kyle was playing amazing, being super clutch, putting the team on his back. Um, so overall, happy with the win. Even Matt Thomas was getting really key rebounds. So love the fact that he's doing other things than just shooting. Um, yeah, happy with how the two games went and obviously that I my predictions were right and that we beat an over 500 team because that's something that's always hanging over our heads that we don't beat over 500 teams enough. So happy we beat a really good team. Well, and I'm very happy for you that you were accurate in your predictions, Essie. Good for you. Well done. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, oh my gosh, you guys made so many good points, and I want to comment on so many of them. Um, I guess I'll start with uh, the Pat McCaw thing. Yeah, I mean, just no respect being given by the other teams for any of for his offensive production, largely because they're isn't a lot of offensive production and you're right the way that teams are playing defense and how they're adjusting for him when he's on the court is just to not guard the shot because it's probably not going to happen um so I guess what I would hope is that Nick Nurse would have some sort of counter adjustment which is suddenly Patrick McCaw becomes this amazing offensive machine because he's left wide open all the time <laughs> let's see what happens that seems optimistic um there was one play 
at the beginning of the, well, I can't remember if it was Sacramento or Utah, to be honest, but there was this one play where he set a screen for Lowry at the three-point line, and um, uh, and then they just did a, a screen and roll, and then Lowry went to go take the three, and Patrick McCall actually did this really Lowry-esque move of using his body to block the other guy from coming up to um, challenge Kyle's three. Anyway, I was like, okay, hey, that, that was a real Lowry-esque game-winning or play-winning play move. So I like that one a lot. Um, other things that stood out to me um, is the clutchness of this team. Uh, Kyle and uh, Pascal in particular, at the end of these close games, just closing them out and being comfortable to just um, take the ball, shoot the ball, make sure the ball goes in the basket. Uh, the end of the Sacramento game, uh, Norm, same thing. It was being really clutch. So I actually really like that our team has a lot of players that you can rely on at the end of the game to likely hit a shot or a clutch shot. And that would include Fred Van Vliet, who obviously wasn't playing either of these two games. Um, Marcus All only played in the uh, Sacramento game, came back from, for the first time um, in a while after he had his injured hamstring. And came off the bench, had uh, limited points. I think he shot like one for five, Was um, had about two points. And maybe it was a three. Um, it looks like it was a three-pointer. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think because he's just coming off the bench, like the, the bench was terrible, just terrible in the, um, in the Sacramento game. They combined for seven points and every single one of them was in the minuses. Uh, Patrick McCall at minus 17, Terrence Davis minus 10, Matt Thomas minus 8. So, yeah, I mean, it was just not a good game for the bench at all, and the starters were 100% the reason why they won that game. Um, and, uh, yeah, then to see Norm get injured again in the um, in the Utah game after being named Eastern Conference Player of the Week and having him go down with a rolled ankle, uh, the only thing I said about that was the F word. And... I, I still say that, um, but it looks like perhaps it wasn't that bad. He walked out of the walk, walked out of the arena, not on crutches and not with his um, uh, ankle in a boot. And also now he's got some time to recover. So I guess we'll I guess we'll see what happens with that. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the game. Um, anything else y'all got to say about those games? Well, I guess, Sarah, to your point, the whole team has a whole bunch of time to recover now. Yeah, and same with every everyone in the league. Do you guys remember? <laughs> do you guys remember when we were doing our playoff predictions maybe three, four weeks back? And I was like, okay, and the and the Raptors were slated to play Brooklyn. If if they had if we kept this standings as they were, Raptors would be number two, Brooklyn would be seven. And I said, Oh, but what if KD comes back and he's not injured anymore and then he comes back and then we play KD in the first round that's like a real possibility now <laughs> what especially if it's delayed to like July or August yeah that was prescient of you well I, I don't want to be right about that <laughs> I, I heard about that like people were bringing that up to our mind that like oh if it gets pushed back too much then there's a possibility that KD and and uh, Kyrie could decide to play, and then it's a whole different series. So, <laughs> yeah, I definitely am worried about that. I mean, I did see online that it will be a minimum 30-day um, suspension, and that they'll reevaluate from there. So I'm hoping that they will um, 
I don't know, it won't be that long, but it probably will be longer than 30 days, <laughs> realistically speaking. But I think anything that where they re resume into July, August gets really sticky, even with the like the next season starting too, because that's getting right into the next. So yeah, I, I definitely am worried about that. Um, and not just uh, Katie and Kyrie, like all teams players are going to now have time to get <laughs> to recover from injuries, which is also obviously bad for the Raptors. I mean, it's good for us in terms of our injuries, but we play good regardless of the injuries, to be honest, for the most part. So, but with other teams who struggle with injured players, it's an advantage for them for sure. The other thing that just occurred to me is that we have to factor in the Olympics too, if they go ahead. So I believe they're in August. So that makes the, the timeline even more tight. Oh yeah. But players are almost guaranteed to prioritize the NBA over the Olympics. So I'm not, it, it would impact the Olympics. You're right. I didn't even think about that till right now, Allison. I mean, I know that uh, some of the players were planning to play in the Olympics, like even, um, Steph Curry, who had missed most of the season, he was still planning to play in the Olympics. Um, and Kevin Durant hadn't ruled himself out for the Olympics either. So it was definitely something that was on their plate, but they might have to like change their mind now and prioritize with this uh, change. Yeah. Down. Yeah. Well, well, let's come back to this in a little bit. I mean, I, 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 one of the things that I'm curious about is the, um, how the players stay mentally and physically um, prepared and at game level over this stretch of time. Um, let's come back to that in a minute. Before we get into any of that discussion, though, I am wanting to hear from each of you about your Kings of the North and your Court Jester of the Week. So uh, let's just keep our regular segments going for the next little bit here. Um, Allison, who is your King of the North this week? Now, I think I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but I did pick Serge Ibaka. Um, he came back uh, the previous week against Golden State and laid down a double-double. Uh, and this week uh, against Sacramento, uh, 36 minutes, 15 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, and two blocks. And then Utah, uh, 37 minutes, 27 points, three rebounds, two assists. He did shut Rudy Gobert down, but then you have to wonder maybe if Rudy Gobert was sick. Um, his minutes are a little bit worrisome. But just, I mentioned before how much he's developed his game. And it's surprising because he's deep into his career now. I mean, we expect Pascal and OG to develop, but we really didn't expect Serge to expand his game at this point in his career. So now he's basically a legit double-double threat. He can hit from mid-range, um, he can hit from three, and he can make the pass. So my king of the north this week, um, Serge Ibaka. Okay, great. Uh, real testament to the coaching staff that they can keep getting more and more to Serge Ibaka. So uh, yeah, Essie, who's your King of the North? So my King of the North this week is going to be Kyle Lowry. So I feel like sometimes we, we're so used to seeing how Kyle produces and Pascal produces that it's almost like it just becomes their normal. And we, it's like it doesn't stand out to us anymore, even though technically they should be, you know, getting some kudos and getting here. The North knows when it's time for him to take over and try to get it, um, into the paint. And so he's just been doing that all this while, but I felt like this week especially it was really noticeable. And 
also he did have the stats to match. So in addition to being a great leader against Utah, he had 21 points. I mean, his field goal percentage wasn't as good, 38%, but Utah is a really, really good team. So keeping that into account, seven assists, three steals, and plus 15. I believe that was one of the highest on the team that day. Um, and then against Sacramento, 30 points, 66% from the field, eight assists, um, again, three steals plus 16. So he was great in terms of just being a good team leader, being clutch, uh, but also had good performance stats-wise. So that's why I chose Carl Lowry. All right. I am going to echo you, and I completely agree. I think Carl Lowry was amazing this week. Uh, two plays stand out to me, one in each of these games, both at the end of the fourth quarter. Kyle Lowry, pull-up three-pointer. And in the game against uh, Utah, it was the, it, that was the killer. It was the one that just took the heart of the team. Like It was like a close game. Anything could have happened in that final minute and a half, and Kyle Lowry hits the three, and that was the end of the game. And then in the game against um, Sacramento, uh, Raps are actually down by two, I think, with about a minute and a half left. Kyle Lowry, pull up three, take the lead, boom. And I was just like, oh, that's, this is beautiful. This is just so classic Kyle Lowry clutch ball. And I... 100% want to acknowledge um, him as the King of the North this week too, Essie. Yeah, and in case you forgot, his name is Kyle Lowry. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you forgot, we can bring it up over and over again. His name is Kyle Lowry. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Um, okay, and quickly before moving into the court jester, um, Allison, she's been running our Twitter account, and you may have noticed recently that she has been retweeting um, too much hoops, T-O-O underscore much underscore hoops. Um, and uh, too much hoops, uh, they've been doing a breakdown of the Raptors' defensive plays in various games over the last little bit, and it is just such an excellent analysis. And right now, all of us are just starved for basketball content. Highly recommend you check it out. Um, he did a breakdown the other day of um, the Raptors' game one against Philadelphia and how the Raptors are playing ball. And one of the things that really stood out to me is Kyle and like how he moves on defense and how fast he is and how committed he is. And like, just like no one is hustling like he is and how friggin' smart this Raptors team is in terms of when they decide to cheat on the player that is, uh, that has the ball when that, when they move off the pick and roll and either drop back into the paint or stay up on the guy. Like it, it this is such an amazing defensive breakdown. Um, I learned a lot just watching even that one. I think, uh, if you're listening to this, you'll really enjoy, uh, watching those videos and it's excellent and you'll really appreciate the Raptors defense after that. Yeah, that's a fantastic piece. And um, like shout out to Will Liu for uh, shining a light on Brad because he's doing really good work here. And this is, um, you know, these are images that we can't necessarily pick up um, even like with slow motion, like replays after like a play during like the live broadcast. So this is like an excellent tool for um, basketball people to learn. Yeah, it's been really cool. Um, okay, so back to our court jester of the week. All right, who this week to you is just kind of like off or weird or funny or whatever it was? Essie, let's start with you this time. So um, sometimes Terrence Davis, the second, plays so well that we forget that he's a rookie. Um, this week we were reminded he's a rookie because... <laughs> He was just out of sorts. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if it was the road trip taking a toll on him 
I think it was, and it was just like, it's time for this guy to go home because he was not playing good. Um, he had no points in either game, and he was just out of rhythm, and Nick Nurse recognized it early, which is why he pulled his minutes. Um, even in the few minutes he did play, he was minus 15 against the Jazz, one of the worst on the team. He was just not good. So unfortunately, I had to choose Terrence Davis the second. All right. Thank you. I'm going to actually just jump right in. I agree with you. Essie, me and you, we're just on the same page this week. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, exactly what you said. Okay, Allison, over to you. Just to go back for a sec, I wonder if if the rookie wall is a thing, maybe Terrence Davis is, is hitting it now. So um, I, I did see what you guys saw there as well. I saw an article saying something similar about the rookie wall and thought, yeah, that could be it. Anyway. Yeah, he'll benefit, honestly, from this break as well, because he's not used to playing this long of a season. And I think, yeah, he might be hitting that sort of wall um, because we were at the tail end of the season. Yeah. Um, Allison, did you also pick TD or do you have someone else? I did not. I went with Pat McCaw. And I know there was a lot of discussion, like all over Twitter and when the Toronto media about um, about his playing minutes. And, you know, Nick Nurse, I mean, it's obvious that his fellow players and his coaches, um, you know, have faith in his defense and his skill set, or maybe that's what they're saying to the media. Um, but um, one for three from the floor against the Kings, he played 17 minutes. And then against Utah, 43 minutes, but I think that was largely because of the injury to Norm. But um, two points in 43 minutes. So I think um, when the playoffs, if and when the playoffs come, McCaw's pretty much going to drop out of the rotation. Um, I see him being used um, specifically for, de de excuse me, for defending inbound uh, plays or just for short clock defensive scenarios. Um, so I think um, we're probably not going to see as much of him in the playoffs if, if they were to happen. So unfortunately, I went with Pat McCaw again for um, Court Jester of the Week. As much as I would love to have faith that he would drop out of the rotation in the playoffs, I don't know, man, because Nick Nurse just loves to play him. So... <laughs> I'm not even, even though it's so blatantly obvious that he shouldn't be playing, I can't even be that confident that somehow he's going to have barely any minutes or the type of minutes we would prefer him to have in the playoffs because, I don't know, Nick Nurse just like, he loves Oh man, I hope you're wrong, Essie. Ooh. Okay, but I was going to say exactly what Essie just said. I, I would love for his minutes to drop in the playoffs and I don't think they're going to. I think Nick loves him. But if they're going to shade off of him and, and double uh, who's ever the threat in the paint or send at extra coverage to, like, the, the shooters, that's just not going to work. I mean, that's going to be, like, a, you know, an easy scheme for Nick Nurse to switch up. Knowing, him. knowing Nick Nurse, though, he's probably just going to tell him to actually shoot more instead of lower his minutes. <laughs> Maybe, you know what? I don't know. Maybe it's a secret weapon. Maybe it's like, we're going to make your scouting look like you should all just ignore this dude. And then, and then, I don't know. You know what? Forget it. Um, yeah, all of this, all of this is hypothetical anyway, because we don't even know what's going to happen with the playoffs or if the playoffs will happen or when they're going to happen. So let's kind of go back over this direction now. Um, so as we 
and most most of our listeners probably know at this point, uh, Rudy Gobert was the first NBA player to be uh, confirmed positive for testing positive for the COVID uh, coronavirus. And um, the Raptors had played him, played Utah, like on the Monday, Serge Ibaka after Rudy Gobert um, shot the free throw, Serge Ibaka kissed the basketball. So there was a bunch of worry that maybe the Raptors any one of the Raptors was also infected or their traveling party. Um, they were all tested. It came back negative um, for everyone. I guess they're waiting on the results of one more um, at the time that we're recording, but it seems like for the most part, the Raptors did not uh, contract the virus. So that's good news. Um, and uh, really good news because, you know, Norm Powell, he had the, he had a bowling event and Nick Nurse's band was playing somewhere uh, when they came back to Toronto. So um, anyway, before all this social isolation stuff kicked in hardcore, um, these events were still happening. And now the players are basically like at home playing video games. And I don't even know. Guys, what do you think it's like to be a Raptor right now? Like dealing with this suspension? Uh, so is it safe to assume we're in tea time now since we saw the Raptors playing video games? Yeah, let's call this our tea time segment. Okay, cool. <laughs> so yeah, it's so funny because, uh, well, it's not funny, but it's, it's uh, interesting because I was on Reddit and some player, not player, fan claimed they saw Chris Boucher at, the, at Loblaws or a grocery store. I saw that. Yeah, so it was a little bit awkward because I was like, mm, aren't you supposed to be on quarantine? And then I started thinking, well, maybe he already knows his results are negative. Um, and so that's why he was out. Apparently he was wearing gloves too, like a latex gloves. So that was a little bit odd, um, seeing that. Uh, but, um, other than that, yeah, the whole incident of, um, them playing, they, they happened to be the team who played, uh, Utah last since Gobert got his, uh, results back. And yeah, I think I'm just relieved. I'm just very relieved that none of the players had it. And also because of the events, like we mentioned, Norman Powell's charity bowling event, there were so many fans there, other personnel there, um, media there, that if any of the Raptors players had had it, then now all those people have to be quarantined as well. And also at Nick Nurse's event, because I believe a lot of them then went to Nick Nurse's event right after. So it's just a relief all around that it didn't create that sort of multiplier effect or, or domino effect, I should say. Um, but other than that, you know, it was still nice to see the players have fun together at the bowling tournament, especially after Norm's injury, seeing him out there bowling. It was, it was, it was nice. So I just just found this out. This was released an hour ago from Toronto Raptors Twitter. It says, introducing how hungry, and then crossed out, bored are you? So how bored are you? Episode one, Mafuzi home gym. And it's Serge Ibaka in his home sharing about how he's keeping fit in his home. So y'all can check that out if you want to know what they're doing. <laughs> That's awesome. That was something I was wondering about, like how how are these guys gonna con continue with their um, their cardio? So um, I'm sure the guys in the condos, like I wonder if they have their own like fitness equipment, because I'm pretty sure they wouldn't be going to the public gym. Um, 
And I know that um, I've seen a video of the practice facility, and I think it's biometric access to get in there. So you have to put your finger on a pad to open the door. So I mean, um, I wonder what measures are being taken, um, you know, to make sure that kind of stuff is clean. Um, the other thing, I guess probably the guys with houses probably have their own courts, but, and they could do reps, but um, as far as the cardio, like, are you out, like, running in the neighborhood, um, like, the condo guys, like, I wonder how they're going to stay fit. Um, yeah, so. Like, Serge doesn't look like he has, a, like, a, I can't actually tell. It looks like maybe it's a, it's a condo, and he's got the, he's got a stationary bike, this is what I can see it see in this video. He's got a stationary bike. He's got these like, I don't really know. You know, in track meets when you have to leap over the hurdle, it looks like he's got like four of those hurdles. He's got some weights and he's got this thing that looks like a cushion. I don't know what it is. Anyway, clearly I don't go to the gym that often, <laughs> but that's, that's what he's got in his place right now setting up. You know, the other thing I'm realizing is like how much, how much fun in sports is about being able to prove that you're right about your predictions. And like the thing that is just hurting me the most is like, what if there's no playoffs and we can't, I can't prove to all of you that I'm right. that The Raptors would have gone to the finals. I'm sad for the players. Like they definitely have something to prove this year. And if there's no playoffs, like all this work and all this determination, you know, of, of course there's something bigger here. But that would just be a shame for uh, this team really has something to prove. Pretty much the notion that Kawhi Leonard carried the Raptors would just carry on again for another full year. We would have to keep hearing people say, oh, the time Kawhi Leonard carried the Raptors because we wouldn't have had this season to prove, you know, that that wasn't necessarily the case. And so that's kind of annoying, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> even though we had success in the regular season, people were not going to be fully convinced yet until they saw some playoff success. So that's going to be annoying to have to deal with that if the season is truly canceled. And heartbreaking too. Like this, this team is a special team. And I, I just feel like, oh man, they, they just deserve the chance to actually try something and go for something here. So, uh. Um, and then, uh, so next question is, uh, this is pure speculation, but I'm curious what you guys think. What, what do you think it's like mentally right now? How do you think you stay mentally prepared for potentially a, like at least a month off and then coming back and not knowing and like even, even returning? What do you think that would be like? I mean, this is, this is a mentally tough basketball team, but what I know about them, at least what I think I know about them is like, they are focused on winning games, right? And now... Now what? This is this meth corruption. I think um, I'd have to say probably the sports sports science team is going to um, have a plan for the players to um, you know stay game ready. And once they're able to get into the practice facility and they can kind of replicate um, what goes on in games and scrimmages, I think that's going to go a long way. So um, just this is unprecedented. Um, you know, it's it's hard to know. So what I read online is that they're still preaching to the players about social distancing. So they're not actually allowed, I believe it was in the NBA statement, um, that they're actually not allowed group workouts at this time, uh, but they will be allowed to have one trainer assigned to them who works with them uh, throughout the week. So um, that's what I know. I don't know how that's going to affect them mentally, but at the same time, 
all the teams are going through it. So everyone is kind of at a disadvantage and everyone will kind of be at not a level playing field, but I feel like, I mean, obviously we're, we're biased in favor of the Raptors, but I think it's important to remember that the other teams will have the same problems as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So speaking, speaking of social distancing, let's just uh, move to our around the league segment segment. We're going to start with uh, Rudy Gobert. So um, just in case our viewers don't know, one of the things that happened is um, before the season was suspended um, and before people really started taking the coronavirus seriously, um, Rudy Gobert was kind of mocking the situation. He did an immediate interview and then he like walked around and he touched all of the microphones and, um, then and then cell phones and then went back to his locker room and apparently was you know touching all the players gear and stuff like that um, and then he when we find out he was actually he has coronavirus and so he issued a statement um this is actually it was kind of the trigger for the um, league being suspended it says i want to thank everyone for the outpouring of concern and support over the last 24 hours i've gone through so many emotions since learning of my diagnosis mostly fear anxiety and embarrassment the first and most important thing I would like to publicly is I would like to publicly apologize to the people that I may have endangered. At the time, I had no idea I was even infected. I was careless, and I make no excuse. I hope my story serves as a warning and causes everyone to take this seriously. I will do whatever I can to support using my experience as a way to educate others and prevent the spread of this virus. I am under great care and will fully recover. Thank you again for all your support. I encourage everyone to take all of the steps to stay safe and healthy. Love. So um, what do you guys think of that statement? So, I mean, he came off looking like a little bit of a jerk at that end of the press conference there when he touched the microphones. So, I mean, there's, you know, contrition. I mean, he pretty much had to say something like that. I think the players are in a little bit of a bubble and some complacency. I mean, in the States, they get, um, you know, fully funded health care. They don't have to worry about getting sick getting injured, everything's covered. So um, like in the States, um, not, not everyone has insurance and not everyone has those options. So I think um, maybe it was a bit of reality that uh, this is a very scary situation for some people. And uh, I mean, I guess he had to kind of come out and say something like that. I see any thoughts? Um, so I actually thought his apology was good. I know some people um, didn't agree. Uh, Max Kellerman specifically on ESPN was saying he wished he would have spoken more about how he wasn't taking the, uh, Gobert wasn't taking the disease seriously or the, the pandemic seriously. But I thought his apology was fine. I mean, I feel like he recognized that, you know, he did something wrong and he obviously was very embarrassed. It was all over the news. They replayed that play, that not play, that clip of him touching the mics over and over and over and over again. And he seems to have no, he seems to know what he did wrong and in any apology, um, it's to me anyway, it's more about the person recognizing what they did wrong and it seems like he, he does and he apologized and, you know, he said, let this be an example for as a way to kind of educate others and prevent, you know, people doing the same thing. And so I think it was fine and, and it really did help as, I mean, not that he has to be the sacrificial lamb, but it did help in terms of the, the cascade effect that happened after this, not just in the NBA, but just everything. The moment the NBA uh, suspended its season, every other you know, big sports um, league was suspending their seasons, companies were closing more. So it's just, in a way, it did, 
it did help people to take this more seriously. And I can tell that he he's embarrassed by what he did. So I think his apology is fine. And yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it was an appropriate apology um, demonstrated the level of maturity that you would expect for this. Um, and good. And then we can move on from there. So, yeah. Um, all right. And then uh, the next part, uh, Essie, maybe you can lead this bit. Um, this is uh, DeMar DeRozan um, being unhappy with the um, San Antonio Spurs. Why don't you take us away? Yeah. So apparently, according to uh, ESPN San Antonio, uh, their Blitz podcast, uh, DeMar DeRozan is not happy in San Antonio. I'm just going to quote what they said. DeMar DeRozan is not happy in San Antonio. The offense is not uh, running smoothly, as one should think, with a guy like him in the lineup. You have to decide if you're going to take that money or come back to a situation that's just not suitable. So, I mean, I know this has been an ongoing topic for a while, but it appears to be coming to, you know, its peak moment. There was also talk that if the Spurs did not give him an extension this summer, he or mentioned that they were going to give him an extension, uh, he was going to opt out of his contract. And he's currently making $27 million a year. So that would be a really big decision to opt out, which just shows the magnitude of what's going on over there and how he's feeling. Um, so essentially, I guess what people are kind of wondering is like, is he making the right decision? Is San Antonio the right place for him? Should he move on? That type of thing. Interesting. I wonder how much of his dissatisfaction, and this is pure speculation, is just like leaving a team that then won and kind of wishing and wondering what it would be like if you were still there and seeing what, like, what could have been. I'm well, this about the Raptors. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that, like, definitely I can see what he's – if this has turned out to be true, I can see what he's saying in terms of the offense because the way that the Spurs offense runs, it doesn't allow for a lot of isolation play, and that's where DeMar DeRozan shines. And so, I mean, obviously he's now in the West, so he doesn't he, – for things like All-Star, he's up against so many people. But I think it's blatantly obvious. I mean, if, even if you look at his points production, it's gone down since he's gone to San Antonio, and he's just not getting the same recognition he used to get. And they're also losing, which also makes things – always makes things worse. <laughs> so, I mean, I could see why he wouldn't want to play there. Plus, he – you know, I, in the back of his mind – he has to still be attached to Toronto in some way and what they're experiencing now, what they experienced last year. So I could see why to him, the grass is looking greener somewhere else. I wonder if the, the luster of uh, Greg Popovich is starting to wear off a little bit in San Antonio. I mean, the first year LaMarcus Aldridge was not happy there either. So now with there's discussion about DeRozan wanting to go, I guess it's um, he has to kind of consider if he's willing to take less money and go somewhere else. And when I say take less money, it sounds like um, the cap uh, next year's salary cap is going to be affected by the revenue from this year or the lost revenue. So if he's going to take less money, it might be significantly less. And the other thing is, would he be willing to come off the bench? So, you know, he's definitely a character player. He has flaws, um, chiefly that he doesn't play defense. 
and that he only plays in the mid-range um, in the league now where the three-point shot is like, you know, a preferred shot. So, I mean, if he would be willing to come off the bench, I could see him in New Orleans, like a veteran, um, you know, proven scorer, or in Miami maybe. Um, I just wonder about their cap situation. Um, so he'd have to be going to like a young team that um, already has some three-point shooting because clearly he's not going to offer that. But I mean, he gave us the best year of his, years of his career and maybe there's a spot somewhere in the rafters for his jersey as well. Yeah, so I think that, I don't think he's at the point where he should be coming off the bench anywhere, if I'm being honest with you, but I do agree with you that, yeah, he needs a team that um, is not going to be expecting him to shoot threes, um, and also uh, he has to play better defense no matter where he goes. The direction the league is going in, um, the teams that win play defense, and also, like, it's, despite the fact, like, with me saying the direction the team the league is going in I'm saying even though there's it's so offense offensive oriented now and the scores are extremely high but at the end of the day the winning team still play defense and so otherwise he can't be on a winning team to be honest like I just don't think and people have already seen what happened in the playoffs with him using the Raptors in, as an example so why would any good team want him there when they see what he does in the playoffs and he's not a three-point shoot like a heavy three-point shooter doesn't play the best defense so he's in a bit of a bind I would stay I would take that 27 million to be honest and worry about everything else after and even you know speaking of the Raptors people keep still I don't know why they won't let it go but people still keep saying oh we should come back to Toronto and it's like it's so blatantly no he will not fit in with Toronto. Like Toronto is a complete old, like I know they say the three and D player, but if you think about it, the, the actual whole team is a three and D team. <laughs> like every single player can shoot the three and every, except for Aronde, obviously. And you know, Boucher is a little shaky, but every single player for the most part shoots the three and plays great defense. So even Matt Thomas, who no one expected him to play defense, plays defense. <laughs> So he just would not fit in with the Raptors at all. So I just wanted to mention that because I know people have said that. But I mean, other than that, like I said, I hope he, he opts in. I don't think he should opt out. Okay. I, I think he has to decide, do I want to win? Do I want to achieve something significant? Like, yeah, he's, he's got to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And also too, if he stays opted in, then he becomes a free agent during the Giannis year. And that's the year that a lot of teams, I think, are going to be willing to do a lot more shuffling because so many teams this upcoming summer, um, assuming however the season goes, um, they're a lot more rigid in their moves because they're waiting for the Giannis year, right? So even if he were to opt out this season, I don't think his options would be that great because so many teams are worried about the Giannis year. And, um, and it's not just Giannis who's a free agent, there's a plethora of a plethora of uh, players who are, will be free agents that year. So he just won't have as many options this year either. But next, the summer after that, you know, when Giannis is a free agent, that year teams are going to be, I mean, they're all going to see what Giannis does and, and Kawhi does and Paul George does and all these other players that they'll be more willing to make a shuffle. And I think they'll have more options. So I think it's just better for him to wait. 
Okay, then I'm going to bring up one more topic before we wrap up for the day. Um, speaking of former Raptors players, Vince Carter. Did he possibly play his last game um, with the Atlanta Hawks um, against the Knicks on Wednesday? That, was, that game was in progress when the league um, uh, decided to suspend the season. And Vince Carter subbed in with something like 15 seconds left, I think, comes in, drains a three. Was that his last game? I'm hoping not. But if it was, it's a crazy way to go out. It could. And it was very sad. I wrote him a message on Twitter over it. Like, I was so sad about that because, honestly, Vince Carter's the reason I became a basketball fan. He's the reason so many people became a basketball fan. And um, I don't know, can you guys hear the sirens in the background? A little bit. Okay. I'm just waiting for it to go by. And yeah, it would have been nice for him to have that final goodbye in Toronto because he still had that one Atlanta game to have it in Toronto where he was going to have his final farewell. And it's just sad. If this is his last, if a season ends like that, it's just such a sad way to go. And, and I'll always remember everything that he did for the city of, of Toronto and the country of Canada and how he changed basketball in this country forever. So yeah, I hope it, it's not the last, but if it is, you know, we'll just remember, we'll just have all the memories and hopefully he gets honored in Toronto some way down the line. I think, I don't think there's any way that the Raptors would not arrange for some way to honor him, even if it's not actually at a game. I mean, their tribute videos, first of all, Raptors have some of the best tribute videos in the league. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I see, I'm a hundred, I'm with you. I mean, you and I, I think are from the same uh, time and generation and Vince Carter, it like inspired basketball for me. That was why it's why I care about it at all is because of him. Guys, I just have to jump in from a different perspective. So I kind of became a fan despite Vince and my views on him have changed a lot over the years. I mean, clearly he inspired a generation of basketball in this country, but he kind of said his goodbye already with a towel over his head sulking on the bench the last year. So um, again, my feelings have changed a lot about him and I'm sure Toronto will do something good for him, but um, like as far as a tribute, but yeah, not everybody sees that the same way. Well, I don't know. I, that was one of those things I was really hurt by that too, especially probably because I loved him so much. So seeing him be that way in his last year was, was awful. And I so so angry with him but it's like now looking back in retrospect and seeing that like had Vince Carter not played for the Toronto Raptors would there still be a Raptors team and I genuinely don't know if the answer for sure for sure yeah well also too I think that like if you actually go and do the research of what really happened and how the management treated him because I, I agree, I was on that train too. I was one of those people calling him Wince Carter and all that stuff during the time. <laughs> so I totally was very disappointed in him. But once I really dug, you know, deep and looked at a lot of the things that management did to him, the promises, they, the false promises they made to him, and, you know, the fact that he had changed his mind about wanting to leave. And um, the, I forget his name, Rob Babcock, the, the GM of the Raptors at the time, still push through the trade, even though Vince said, no, I want to stay. I want to work it out. And that's one of the things that Sam Mitchell revealed later was how he really regrets not escalating that to, you know, uh, Larry Tannenbaum or somebody, because we all realize how terrible the GM 
Babcock was anyway. So there's so many things that go into that. And I personally forgive him for what happened. And some things you can only appreciate in time. And as we've seen over time, he's created generations of Canadian basketball players in this country. And even when he was still here, he was one of the first players to actually say, I want to be here. He was our first big name player to change the notion that Toronto, no players want to play in Toronto. When he re-signed with us, that was monumental, especially coming after the year that Tracy McGrady left. Like he really, really changed things in this country. And even if you think about some of the things he actually did, at the time, seeing a player who um, genuinely cared about the city and loved the city, like that's very valuable. And the things he would do, he used to do charity basketball games where they, at the time it was called Air Canada Center. Air Canada Center would sell out his charity basketball games. He did it two years in a row, and he would invite players from around the league to come and show off Toronto. And I, I see Sarah smiling. I could go on a rant about, about Vince Carter, everything he did. He would invite players around the league to come to his charity events just to recruit them, to help them see how great of a city Toronto was and, and try to get them to come over. People just, you know, recency bias, unfortunately, is very you know, prevalent. People just forget every single thing he did for us. And for a player to do that at that time when the Raptors were being shunned, look at Alonzo Mourning didn't even show up. Like, it's just, you know, what Steve Francis did in Vancouver. It's just, I don't know how people can't appreciate what Vince Carter did for this country. I really just don't know how. I certainly see that now. And I will admit, I can be very petty and vindictive. And I mean, I'm coming at this from um, the viewpoint of having been a Leafs fan. And there can be no higher dysfunction in sport than that franchise over the years. And I'm reminded of the Zamboni driver most recently. So I don't want to go off on a whole rant. But, um, you know, for sure, my, my views on Vince have changed. And again, he's done so much to further the sport of basketball in Canada. So so um, I think it's just the, um, the pattiness in me that uh, made me come out with that comment. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's okay. I just think it's like when we look at his full body of work, like especially in terms of, of you know, at the end of the day, now we're getting to the stage of deciding who, whose jersey do we retire? And these decisions are not to be taken lightly. They're not to be taken in, oh, we were mad at him just this one time. Like, just when you look at his full body of work and the impact he's had, even years later, people are still wearing Vince jerseys. I just think you got to just, like, let it go. And not you specifically, Allison. I'm talking, I'm now ranting to every single person who said that. <laughs> but I just think, like, looking at his full body of work, and his impact, you can't deny that he deserves some acclaim from the city of Toronto. For sure. And now we have like competent leadership and, you know, Masai Ujiri and whatever decisions that are going to be made, I'm sure will be um, done with some, some class and some uh, distinction. So I have no concerns there. Awesome. Well, uh, Vince, uh, if this was your last game, uh, congratulations on an outstanding career. A very long career, <laughs> the longest. And um, just thanks so much for what you've done for basketball in Canada, basketball in Toronto, and um, we wish you nothing but the best. Okay, so that will wrap up our podcast for today. As a reminder, as I said at the beginning, we are um, going to continue to record. Go ahead, Esty, what do you want to say? Yeah, I wanted to add that I'm very excited that we're going to keep talking about the Raptors during this break that the league is on and that 
we will have really juicy topics and we're going to be really debating all the stuff that we don't get a chance to debate about because we always keep a game focused. It's going to be me versus Sarah and then Sarah versus Allison and then Allison versus Sunal and then everyone versus Essie. <laughs> Gloves are off. This is perfect. Okay, well, now I'm really excited. Okay, uh, great. So make sure you tune in. Don't miss us. Follow us on Twitter, on Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, all the places on the internet. Follow at Raptor Queens. You can follow us individually. You can find all of our handles on our Twitter account. And we so look forward to talking to y'all again next week. And stay safe, stay healthy, and stay Raptors fans. Mwah. Yay! We the North! Woo. Hey.